Hi, this is Buff, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you'll better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we're living out our ancient faith in modern times and believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about what it means to be awake, and hopefully you have remembered that to be awake means to be expectant rather than having expectations, to pursue empathy rather than sympathy, to be awake to God even in the midst of the times of suffering in our lives. And today I want to talk about being awake through obedience, that when we are obedient, we are most alive and awake in God. And I want to talk about that by looking at our gospel a little bit today. So just to begin, have you ever had a dream that was so intense, so emotionally charged that when you woke up, you were absolutely sure it was real? You ever had one of those dreams that, in fact, it feels so real that it takes you a couple of minutes to even recognize that it was a dream? You're sitting there, wherever you were uh, asleep, hopefully not at work, and you think to yourself, did that really happen? Was that dream, like, reality, or is that my dream? Now, I have a dream like that very regularly, actually. It's the same dream. I have it almost every Saturday night. It involves me waking up at 10 a.m., recognizing I've missed the first service, and this one has already started, supposedly. And every time I have that dream, it feels very, very real. It's motivating for me to check my alarm about 100 times every Saturday night. Recently, I was telling some friends of mine, some other pastor buddies, about that dream. And uh, one of them said, oh, well, I can do one better. That actually happened to me. I overslept and missed the service. And I asked him to stop because my palms were sweating. I didn't want to hear any more of his story. It sounded awful. Dreams are real. And no matter where you think they come from, they tap into a part of us that we simply cannot stop. They have access to us when we are the very most vulnerable. That is when we are asleep. And I think that's why God uses them, actually. The Bible says that God watches over us when we are waking and when we are asleep. And so when better to confront us with something that we might normally not want to think about, something that we don't want to accept, than when, of course, when we're asleep. Of course, the tricky part here is figuring out which of these dreams are meaningful and which ones need to be just completely forgotten and are nonsense. And I'll leave that dream interpretation to wiser people than me. But today I want to look at Joseph. Joseph and his decision to obey this dream that he's had. When he awakens to the reality of what the incarnation is. And the incarnation is a big word that we use at this time of the year, but it simply means this. God putting on flesh and dwelling among us. Now stop and think about that for a sec. Because it's really the most incredible thing. If Jesus doesn't come, the story of Christmas, the one that we are celebrating at this time of year, is in fact just one more moral paradigm to crush you and I. If Jesus didn't come, I wouldn't want to be anywhere near these Christmas stories that talk about needing to sacrifice and be humble and to be more loving. 
Because all it does is lay duty on duty on duty, and it's just too much. If Jesus didn't come in the flesh, then what's to know? Why even celebrate any of this? But if he did come, then this Bible that we have is really a 500-page autobiography. And because of the incarnation, we can look at what God has done and we can know him personally. If the Son would come all this way to be a real person to you, don't you think the Holy Spirit would do anything in his power to make Jesus a real person in your heart? Christmas is, in fact, an invitation. An invitation by God to say, look at what I've done to come near you. Draw near to me. I want to be more than a concept. In fact, I want to be your friend. And so we read in our gospel today, her husband Joseph, being a righteous man, key phrase, and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But when he resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived, her, conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. And you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. Now just pause for a minute. You've probably heard this story before. But think about this for just one second, if you can. God didn't need Joseph, did he? He already had created a child in Mary out of nothing. And so what was the big deal about having her fiancé around anyway? Maybe a child from a single mom would have been that much more powerful about God's greatness, about God's wonder. But instead, God chooses to come to Joseph and he explains himself to Joseph, which is shocking. God wants Joseph to be a part of this story. He wants Joseph to be a part of the redemption of the world. And dads, right now, just know that you matter to God. It's in the Bible, right there. You're important. Now, you also have some more good news, dads, because Joseph, like a lot of you and me, don't say a word. Throughout Scripture, in fact, he is silent. We don't have a single word from him anywhere in the Bible. He's like this extra in a movie, this minor character that is in the cast of all these other characters. He's central. He's part of it, but he says nothing. There is something I want you to note, though. Though he says not a word, he is obedient, incredibly obedient. And it was Emerson who said, what you do speaks so loudly, I cannot hear what you say. Great quote. Because what Joseph did spoke so loudly, it resonated to this very minute of this day. Think about that. His actions give us a model of what it means to hear God and say nothing, but do exactly what we've been told. He was engaged, as you know already, to a young woman who was suddenly and strangely pregnant and the angel says, this is an act of God. And then this northern Palestinian cabinet maker drops all his tools and goes to Bethlehem for a census. And shortly after that, there's another warning in a dream. And he flees to Egypt where there is no network for him. There are no connections. He has no job and no place to stay. Yet, this man says nothing. He's remarkably simple. 
in his obedience, but he is also simply remarkable in that he was willing to do everything God asked of him with this immediate obedience. All these things that on the surface seem completely absurd. Joseph, in fact, awakened to his obedience in pain, in fear, in trust. And I want to talk about those three things very quickly here. First, how he woke to the pain of his situation. Joseph shows us how to be obedient in very painful places. He was betrothed. The word that we would use today is engaged to marry. Now, in the Jewish culture, when a girl was 12 or 13 years old, her parents would sign a consent that she was betrothed or engaged. And this was a legally ratified document. It was a binding marriage covenant, even though she lived with her parents for another year. The second phase of the marriage ceremony was the transferal. And it was at this point that the husband would come and get his wife-to-be and take her into his house. In our story today, Joseph is in between phase one and phase two, except Mary has a child. She's pregnant, and he can't deny it. The evidence is clear. It's becoming brutal. And I'm sure like most of us in the face of unpleasant circumstances, at first he wanted to deny it. He wanted not to see it, but then it became so obvious he had to see it. One of the questions in church history is this. Did Joseph expect Mary? Did, the question here is for our church historians is, did Joseph think Mary was in sin? That had she committed in, um, infidelity? A lot of our church historians say, yeah, that they think that she did that, that he thought she did at least. Everybody from Jerome to Augustine thinks that. And there's this little phrase here that we read in our gospel reading where it says that he was a righteous man. And because of that, Joseph didn't really have a choice. Because being a righteous man has two meanings. And let me explain them to you very, very quickly. The first was this, that under the law, he had no choice to put her aside. According to the law of Moses, the minute she became pregnant, she was legally classified as a prostitute for what she had done. And a righteous man living under the law had no choice but to put her aside. That was the language used. But there's righteous in another sense as well. It means to be prudent. It means to be discreet, to be magnanimous, to be big-hearted. And that's, in fact, what Joseph, Joseph intended to do. He wanted to privately take her away with, and go to her family with uh, two other men, as was the custom, so that he would be out of this relationship. And he intended to do just that. And then he had this suddenly shattering dream from God where the angel says to him, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because she was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And so here he is, Joseph, night and day, with his dream. Can you see him? Just pacing the floor of his carpenter shop, probably talking to himself. What kind of dream is this? What does it mean? He probably wanted to talk to Mary about it, but 
Words were stuck in his mouth. There's nothing but a question mark in his heart. This is a painful moment. Because not only is this embarrassing, but Nazareth is a small town. His building up of his carpenter's business depended on the goodwill of the people of the town to respect him. And the backstreet gossip, the malicious slander would absolutely hurt his reputation. And there was no explanation for why she was the way she was. So Joseph awoke to this reality that he can, in fact, obey God in the midst of very, very painful and difficult circumstances. And in fact, that's what he did. There's also fear. As much as there's pain, there's fear. And if you've ever seen anybody confess faith in Christ or put their trust in him in baptism and then question whether or not they have to give this up, you know that fear. For as much as Joseph models to us the way that we can obey God in painful situations, he also models for us how we can obey God while we are afraid and scared. When the word of the Lord came to Joseph... This word was, fear not. Fear not. The message was, it was not, don't be too proud to obey. Don't be disgusted. Don't be too angry. Don't be too hurt. Don't be ashamed. It didn't say any of that. What he said was, stop being afraid of obedience. Fear not. Joseph was like all of us. He would have been terrified by this virginal conception. God had come close very close to Mary. And it created a situation that scalded him with fear and humiliated him with the power of God. If you want to see a case that's very similar to this, you only need to go to the book book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. And Jesus does this incredible miracle where he captures, uh, using the nets, all these fish. And if you read that story again, Peter isn't so happy that they caught all the fish. He isn't overwhelmed with gladness. Instead, if you remember what he says, he's overcome with fear. And he gets down on his knees in front of Jesus and he says, Depart from me, a sinful man. When we're awakened to God, he draws near to us. He draws close to us and it creates in us a very normal sense of fear. Joseph would have much rather gone back to his carpenter shop, I'm sure, and played with his tools than be the stepfather to the Son of God. It would have been easier for Peter to do the same thing, to go back to James and John and just keep fishing rather than to become a fisher of men and a preacher at Pentecost. The truth is, in the face of God's commands, it's easier for us, for you and I, to very often go back to that comfortable, safe, cozy, predictable place that we have created for ourselves than it is to obey God in a radical way. But Joseph models something different. Being awake to the truth, in spite of the pain, in spite of the fear, he trusts in the word of God and pushes forward. And that really leads me to the the third word I want us to focus on, and it's that word trust. Have you ever had a dream where you thought that God spoke to you? A dream like Joseph has had? Well, these were actually pretty common in those days, and the rabbis were divided about the value of dreams. Some of them said that they were worthless. And other rabbis said that they were a mild form of prophecy. Even then, they discriminated about whether or not they were true or false. 
Joseph no doubt struggled with exactly that idea. He didn't have a bishop to go to. He didn't have a pastor to go to. He didn't have a counselor to talk to about this matter. He had to decide if it was true or false based solely on this dream. And he interpreted it and he acted on it. And here again we see that in obedience, everything is based on what God says. We can learn also that obedience has a consequence. Obedience has a consequence. It is this very personal and very intimate consequence that we see for Joseph. Because this is how the reading ends today. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife. But he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son and named him Jesus. So he took this woman with her child from her parents' home and transferred them into his house. But he did not know her. He didn't have sexual relationship with her until she brought forth her first son and they called him Jesus. There was an immediate consequence to his trust. But there was also one For a lifetime. Because obedience, whether we like it or not, has consequences that go on and on and on. No sooner had he married Mary than they had to drop everything, go to Bethlehem because of the census. And then while they were there, they told they had to go on to Egypt. And so as I was trying to think about how to describe this story, I wanted to modernize it for us a little bit. So imagine there's a young man today who is engaged to a woman who suddenly finds out she's pregnant. And in a dream, God surprises him by saying, stay with her. And after he is staggered by that confusing thought, he goes to his parents and he says, I'm going to stay with her. And then he goes to her parents and says the same thing, I'm going to stay with her. And then they began to face the gossip that had come from those circumstances. As he begins to settle down a little bit, the government then decides that everybody in the United States needs to go back to their hometown to register for a special tax. So he gets in his old car, he drives across the country, and he gets to his hometown. But when he gets there, all the motels are full, all the hotels are full, and the only place they can stay is a garage. And so he takes this woman who he's been engaged with, and though he's not married to, into this garage. And it's there that she actually has her child. And they lay the child on a workbench. And surely the young man is wondering, what could happen next to me? This is insane. And it's in that moment that the street people begin to bang on the door of the garage, wanting to come in. And they fall down at the workbench and begin to worship this baby. And if that wasn't enough, as the, wide, the young man's eyes grow wider, three stretch limousines pull up and ambassadors from the United Nations get out and they bring cougarins and they lay them at the baby's feet and then to make everything absolutely crazy the governor of the state calls up the National Guard to kill all the babies in that town and there's another dream he has and it says you better get out of there and get down to South America as quick as you can can you imagine that's what it was like This is the trust of Joseph. He saw the pain. He knew the fear. But he also had the trust to obey. And so as 
we come to this last Sunday of Advent as we awaken to the obedience of Joseph. Wherever you're at, if you are in pain, if you are afraid of your circumstances, or if you're in a place where you are again being called to trust and obedience, I want you to remember Joseph. You know, we don't actually know the influence that he had on Jesus. But we do know this. Jesus, too, was obedient. He was obedient all the way to death. Even death on a cross. So I want us to pray, as we've been doing in this time of reflection in, in Advent. And I want you to ask God that question. God, am I in a place of pain? And you're calling me to be obedient. God, am I in a place of fear and I need to be obedient? God, am I calling, are you calling me to trust you yet again in obedience? Let's pray. that we are in pain and we have lacked obedience forgive us for the places that our fear has overcome us and caused us to trust ourselves and not you remind us for the places that we are reaching out in trust in relationships the stewardship of the things you've given us, God, for all the places that you have called us to that place of trust. Help us to yet again be obedient to you because you are good, because you love us, you care for us, you care for this world, and you have not forgotten or forsaken us. In fact, if the incarnation teaches us anything else, it's that you are, you know what it's like here, and you are among us. Help us to be obedient yet again. In your name. Amen.